0: Casting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio talk Radio Talk Show.
1: All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman and Kirk Crosby live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, starts now. This is the broadcast for November the 11th in the year of our Lord, 2019. This is our one of two and our goal always, to protect life, liberty, and property, and to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America as our guide. And absolutely, we're convinced the checks and balances brilliantly Put in place by the Founding Fathers. One of the great peaceful restorative solutions we have at our fingertips. We reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live. Syndicated by LovingLiberty.net, Liberty News Radio, and your favorite talk station or modern internet device. Welcome to the broadcast. Hope you had a delightful God, family, and country style weekend. Quick recap of a couple of stories. Thursday, or Let's see, Friday's news. We didn't get a chance to recap. Recap our news on Saturday, by the way. We are six days a week, though, as you are hopefully aware. We talked about police not liable for destroying a home USA Today. What a sham. What a sad tale to tell, folks. The government cut back by 17,000 jobs. I pray it's true, but can't find the pay dirt anywhere on it. I guess under uh, Mayor de Blasio's leadership in New York, I guess they're secretly sending their homeless population to other states. That's a dishonest sham or scam as well. Shame on the folks in New York. They ought to have a little bit more charity than that. Mike Pence blasts U.S. corporations for bowing to China, says they should bow to Washington instead. Uh, Sadly, Washington bows to China, don't they, Mike? Just saying. Kanye enters the culture war with Jesus is king, and it's a rebellion. I don't like to look at it as a rebellion, but I agree Jesus is the king. Google buys Fitbit, acquiring users' health histories in the process, triggering a privacy backlash. That's a big older story, but concern, isn't it? Microsoft bags a $10 billion Pentagon contract, I guess for what they call this big war project. It's a Jedi war project. And uh, Amazon lost. Microsoft won. Judge tosses out Joe Arpaio's $300 million defamation lawsuit against CNN or other media outlets. What's interesting about that is <clears throat> Joe Arpaio just turned around and filed a more refined, targeted lawsuit in his place. So time will tell how that goes. It'll probably get tossed out again, I hate to admit. I guess a robbery, double sex assault. It was a hoax. It was fake. It didn't even happen. Illegals perpetuated the crime in an effort to dodge deportation, the police say. Rand Paul and Mike Lee endorse Arnold Mooney for Alabama Senate. Sad they're not endorsing or endorsing uh, Judge Roy Moore, but there you have it. I tried to call Arnold Mooney's uh, phone number for his uh, offices. He's a state legislator right now in Alabama, and you can't get a hold of the guy no matter how hard you try. One number is disconnected, and... Uh, the other night, anyway it's just bogus can't get a hold of anybody there parents share concerns for working families over Queensland's trial for 3-year-olds to attend government school and that's a strange deal isn't it 9 out of 10 households would lose if we actually had free college a new study reveals the downside of democratic efforts or plans to pay the university tab, if you will. Big Brother using social media to crush freedom. It's a worldwide analysis. Finds increasing abuse, manipulation of elections, monitoring of citizens. I'm just saying, wow. I guess new touchscreen voting machines list wrong candidates. They're not taking paper ballots in Philadelphia. Nevertheless, that was the second hour, believe it or not, on Thursday. No, on Friday's show. I mean, that's just one hour of news, folks, that we cover on Liberty Roundtable. Isn't it shocking how much news we cover? On the first hour of the show, we talked about the American people have eye-popping news for Mitt Romney and new poll results. May take the grin off his face. People don't really have a whole lot of love for Mitt Romney. Prince Charles is involved. In a $134 million counterfeit art scandal, after seven years in a wheelchair, this is a great news piece, by the way, after seven years in a wheelchair, bride surprises groom by walking down the aisle. It was one of the greatest days of their life, and a man marries woman, you got to dig that, and they're happy, and they're grateful to be together. I guess they make America great again wearing hat, Nationals player, responds to leftist outrage and says everybody makes everything political i understand the point uh i want you to know though that everybody doesn't think everything's political just your mainstream press that tries to divide us on political rhetoric right most of us can agree to disagree even if we don't agree on things right we can be kind and it it doesn't define us does it black nba players and jewish nobel winners where's the justice writes walter e williams as he applies reality to the disparities highlighted by the arguments you know hey how come you know the jewish folks get way more pulitzer prizes and everything else compared to their representation in the population same with nba players how come there's so many black football and basketball players way out of way way out of proportion how come is it racist I mean, good questions two women of color Two views about America. Star Parker writes the piece, contrasts Rashida Klaib or whatever, and Nikki Haley. Gun regulators, believe it or not, are making up their own laws, and it has to stop. Yeah. Mark Walters warns of two alphabet agencies overstepping their jurisdictions. The only news I got from Mark is it's not only two. Okay, I guess it said he highlighted two of them. There's a gazillion of them, isn't there, folks? The left, believe it or not, targets charitable nuns. Again, Jerry Newcomb quotes the founders to defend little sisters of the poor. Good for Jerry. What I want to see in November 2020, Barry Farber writes, he hopes to see the largest landslide in history. I support that, Uh, but it's concerning of, kind of the violent rhetoric Barry puts forward anyway that's a recap of the broadcast that took place on Friday now quickly moving to Saturday because we had an incredible show on Saturday we had on several guests one of them was Judy Fraser, and she's president and founder of a group called we the kids we the kids.us to learn more and we talked about we the kids focuses on getting hooked on history We also had another guest with Judy called Lydia Nuttall, or named Lydia Nuttall. She's the author of Forgotten American Stories. Forgottenamericanstories.com to learn more. What's the story behind the stories? We also had another guest, Steve Gronka, founder of Advance America and Sequest Kids. Sequestkids.com. And uh, he has this group called the Little League of Boating and We the WeTheKids.us, building bridges through education. Tremendous guests, tremendous two-hour broadcast. Uh, we also talked about the Lydia Nettle is the host of the We The Kids radio program on Fox Radio in Pennsylvania. They're working on a podcast and more. We also had another guest. Colonel John Idesmo was with us. He's with the Foundation for Moral Law, works with Judge Roy Moore. We are working on making 52 videos of Billy Eagle and the Colonel. And they're all helping children understand the Constitution. They're just doing so many projects over there. It was a two-hour highlight of what we, the kids, are doing. We also highlighted Peter Robine, Teach Our Christian Heritage and Drums of Freedom. And uh, Peter's been an entrepreneur for 35-plus years. And he's the founder of History Strips and the Drums of Freedom. And we're all trying to bring the Constitution and American history back to life for our children. And in doing so, we hope to make that happen for parents uh, as well. Tremendous broadcasts on Friday and Saturday, not because of me, but because of the incredible guests that join us on the roundtable. Just amazing. And speaking of incredible guests that joined us on the roundtable, Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org is in the mix. Welcome back, my friend. Hope you had a delightful weekend. Good to be with you. Man, we cover a lot of news, buddy. I'm telling you right now. All right. Happy Veterans Day. Now, some of them call uh, it Armistice Day. Uh, But I just read an email from a buddy of mine. I won't mention his name because he probably doesn't want to be mentioned. Um. But he says that, you know what, we shouldn't be really saying happy Veterans Day. I mean, it's not a happy day to celebrate those who sacrificed so much for us. It is appropriate, though, we probably should say, maybe we could say something like this, have a reverent Veterans Day, or maybe a grateful Veterans Day would be much more appropriate than happy Veterans Day, lol. Good point, Sam.
2: <clears throat> it's not happy when uh, those who go to war are killed, or, or they kill people. I mean, it's that's a sobering day, <clears throat> and I I think that uh, I I like the name of the day when it was originally named as Armistice Day because Armistice means truce, which is an agreement to end fighting, and uh, that's what we need more of nowadays. We need more armistices. So I really kind of wish this day was named Armistice Day. Yet. In other other words, I wish we hadn't changed the name to Veterans, although, yes, we respect our veterans, but I don't know. I like to highlight Armistice because that means an end to the fighting, Sam.
1: Yeah, and when you think about being grateful, grateful for the fighting that it took to defend our God given unenable rights, but then to end it, it makes gratitude or appreciation or. What reverence for the day, much more meaningful. We'll talk about it as the broadcast unfolds.
3: I'd advise Mr. Trump to stop whining and go try to make his case to get votes. The
1: press has created a rigged system, they even want to try and rig the
4: election. Well, I tell you what, it it helps in Ohio that we got uh, Democrats in charge of the machines
1: and poisoned the mind of so many of our voters. At the polling booths, where so many cities are corrupt and voter fraud is all too common. And then they say, "Oh, there's no voter fraud in our country." I come from Chicago.
4: So, so I want to be honest, it's not as if it's just Republicans who have monkeyed around with elections in the past. Sometimes Democrats have too. You know, whenever people are in power, they're you know, they have this tendency to try to you know, tilt things in their direction. There's
3: no way. You start whining before the game's even over. Whenever things are going badly for you and, and you lose, you start blaming somebody else. And you don't have what it takes to be in this job.
5: Hi, I'm Patty, wife of former Congressman Steve Stockman. In Congress, Steve sought impeachment of Eric Holder for his corruption of the Justice Department and his fast and furious gun running that caused Border Agent Brian Talley's death. Steve called for arrest of Lois Lerner for her contempt of Congress as it investigated her targeting of conservative nonprofit groups. After four years, four grand juries, and millions of tax dollars, Steve Stockman is in prison. His case involved four checks to nonprofits. DOJ has one standard for Hillary Clinton, but another for folks like President Trump and my husband. We've spent all our savings, all Steve's retirement, and much of mine. Steve Stockman has fought for you and America. Won't you join me now to fight for Steve? To help, text, to 444-999, text FIGHT to 444 999, text F I G H T to 444 999, or go to defendapatriot.com. Defendapatriot.com.
1: Armistice means truce, ladies and gentlemen, or an end to the fighting. And no doubt that would be a reason to celebrate. But we need to highlight this day with reverence and gratitude. That's for sure, Lowell. Well, Sam,
2: you know, as a member of the
1: Church of Jesus
2: Christ of Latter-day Saints, I am continually surprised and disappointed that so many of my faith support these ongoing, never-ending wars in which the U.S. is involved, like in Afghanistan and Syria. For example, you know, Jesus Christ taught us to love our enemies, and yet we seem intent on fabricating and then destroying our enemies. You know, when I think about the Revolutionary War, I think that was a just war, because we were defending ourselves against the king who was imposing... Uh, the terms of tyranny upon us. And so, you know, we we basically fought for our independence and, and uh, won a war. There's, there are other examples of when uh, a nation, you know, comes upon you and attacks you, well, then uh, you're probably justified in defending your land. And in those cases, then perhaps war is just. Maybe it can be defended. Maybe it's justifiable. But, you know, ever since You know, the last 50, 60, 70 years, the United States has been involved in in many, many wars, conflicts, I guess. And the current one in Afghanistan, the longest in our history, 19 years in Afghanistan. Why are we still there? I mean, these kinds of wars, the war that's being waged on Yemen, the war that we're waging on Venezuela. I mean, these are the wars that I really have a problem with. And it's these kinds of wars, which I believe uh, inspired the president of our church at the time in 1976, Spencer W. Kimball, to make an important statement about us as a people. And uh, what he said was this, we are warlike people, easily distracted from our assignment of preparing for the coming of the Lord. When enemies rise up, We commit vast resources to the fabrication of gods and stone, I'm sorry, gods of stone and steel, ships, planes, missiles, fortifications, and depend on them for protection and deliverance. When threatened, we become anti-enemy instead of pro-kingdom of God. We train a man in the art of war, call him a patriot, and thus in a manner of Satan's counterfeit of true patriotism, perverting the Lord's teaching to love your enemy. End of quote. So that's something that President Kimball said the very year I graduated from high school, 1976. So even back then, you know, he was indicting us as a people, as our religion, to quit being such Fox. And um, it's probably worse today, Sam. I, I just believe that there's so many of us that, uh, that just blindly support war. Now, as evidence of that, I will— su- say that we have five out of our six congressmen from the state of utah who vote for war and continuation of the conflict over and over and over well i take that back actually four of the six ben mcadams actually voted against more war uh, about two months ago in an important vote which i appreciate he did now mike lee has also voted against war as has Rand Paul and so forth. So Mike Lee and Ben McAdams are the only two... But let's be
1: very clear, though. Let's be very clear. Uh, Rand Paul has voted against war way more boldly, consistently, whatever you want to say, than Mike Lee by far. So Mike Lee has done a lot of good by standing against it, but he's waffled on several occasions there and, and really got us into some things that... You know, you got to understand the principle and then be true to the principle is the point. And some oppose the war because they can see it for what it is. But sometimes they get duped into believing that war is the answer. In other words, war uh, is peace. And a lot of times they fall for that lie. Oh, we got to have war on the other side of the world or we can't have peace in America. And, and so they fall for this lie. And oftentimes when they do, they regret it. If they uh, are true blue patriotic people just deceived versus truly criminal by nature so you got to really highlight that point though um because i don't want you to believe that mike lee is a complete peaceful stand with a Rand Paul and avoid foreign entanglements completely because he is not although he has voted correctly many times just not near as consistently
2: good point sam appreciate that very much you know ron paul talked a, a great deal about this during his presidential campaigns in 2007 and 8, and again 2011 and 12, um, he promoted peace. He said, "Let's just come home," you know, and he even got booed on the debate stage because he said, "Let's just come home." But because we we just marched in, let's just march home. And that 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 would you know, there's so many reasons to to leave those conflicts alone, is quit meddling in the affairs of of uh, foreign nations. And uh, so I I just thought it'd be appropriate to talk about that today. I mean, we, it is Armistice Day. Uh, I like to think of it as Armistice Day, the end of wars. But I also want to talk about the reasons why politicians like to make war, uh, and then also why citizens like you and me ought to oppose war. Because I think it's, Sam, I think it's the case that politics is downstream from culture and that if we as a people, as a culture of people, you know, if, if our society uh, hated war the way I wish they would hate war, uh, then, we, then we would have politicians that wouldn't vote for war, for selling arms. I mean, we sold arms to Hitler back in the 1930s. We're, today we're, we're continuing to sell arms and armaments to Saudi Arabia uh, and other countries in the Middle East. Um, And, and, uh, you know, so we need to talk about why we do that. But I just I I wanted to preface the discussion of war with this uh, with the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and in hopes that it would wake up, you know, our fellow members of this church and and, and help them to understand that war is is usually not the answer. And it's almost never justifiable, especially the, the wars that we're currently Uh, fighting in the Middle East and around the world. Um, So, you know, Gordon B. Hinckley, who was also president of this church, said this. He said, nearly 10 decades have passed now since my birth. He said this in his 90s, right? And for the better part of that time, there's been war among mankind in one part of the earth or another. No one can ever estimate the terrible suffering incident to these wars across the globe. Lives numbered in the millions have been lost. The terrible wounds of war have left bodies maimed and minds destroyed. Families have been left without fathers and mothers. Young people who have been recruited to fight have in many instances died, while those yet alive have had woven into the very fabric of their natures elements of hatred which will never leave them. End of quote. I mean, it's really sobering, Sam, when you think about the effects of war. I I don't know of any other evil greater than the evil of war. Uh, When you think about all the evil that goes on in the earth, and there is more than enough than to spare, I mean, the the list is endless of all the evil in in the world, but I think war is the greatest of all the evils that are here on this planet and it destroys families, it destroys—I mean, you know, it it, just—it's sad. And uh, so, with so many statements, and I I have a whole list of them here, but um, all of them are quite similar in that we—you know, the Church leadership is promoting peace and asking us to take responsibility for that. Um, uh, You know, John A. Widstow said he—the responsibility— cannot be shifted to someone else, he said. It cannot be placed upon the shoulders of Congress or Parliament or any other organization of men with governing authority. He says, each individual, by the doctrine of Christ and his church, holds in his own hands the peace of the world. That makes me responsible for the peace of the world. It makes you individually responsible for the peace of the world. So, you know, Sam, I, I don't think we can any longer blame somebody else for the war that's occurring in the world yes some blame maybe but it's really up to us we have to pray for peace and we have to petition congress to quit voting for war Uh, i don't know
6: well
1: i agree with that we also have to be peaceful ourselves though and that's kind of the interesting thing when you started out talking about you know members of our church and i would say members of other churches as well the christian community at large you know, I would say, how come they are so hawkish? How come they believe that war is peace? And you know, I get that you wanna be grateful for and uh, congratulate or, or you know support those who have suffered for us and stuff like that. In other words, I get the patriotism to wave the flag and to, to say, hey, we're grateful for your service and all that kind of stuff. But there's one thing to be grateful for the sacrifices made, there's another to celebrate war. And there's another to become hawkish to where you kind of believe, you know, when you hear that, you know, we've stamped out another bad guy somewhere. You kind of, in our nation, have this idea you almost celebrate like, yeah, get him. And we've almost turned into, we've changed my well, bread and circus to blood and circus. Let's talk more about it. Sam Curtin, Lowen in seconds, Liberty Roundtable Live.
0: Proclaiming liberty across the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio.
7: USA Radio News with Wendy King.
8: Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vinman is apparently on his way out at the National Security Council. He had recently testified on Capitol Hill about President Trump's phone call with the president of Ukraine. National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien tells CBS's Face the Nation, as planned, he's shrinking the council.
6: We're streamlining the National Security Council. There are people that are detailed from different departments and agencies. My understanding is Colonel Vindman is, uh, is detailed from the Department of Defense. So everyone who's detailed at the NSC, people are going to start going back to their own departments, and we'll mm-hmm. bring in new folks, but we're going to get that number down.
8: Public hearings on the impeachment inquiry begin on Wednesday. Police have fired tear gas, and protesters broke windows as anti-government demonstrators took to the streets in Hong Kong once again. At least one person was shot during the protest. This is USA Radio News.
4: When thinking about life insurance, my accident reinforced you never know what tomorrow might bring. That's why I reached out to AccuQuote. AccuQuote helps people find a life insurance policy that meets their needs. Since 1986, they've helped millions of folks save up to 60% on their life insurance by comparing the rates and features of dozens of top-rated life insurance products. A healthy 50-year-old non-smoker can buy a half a million dollars of 10-year level term for less than 45 bucks a month. A 60-year-old under 120 bucks a month. Longer or permanent terms are available. Even if you already own life insurance, you really need to check out my friends in AccuQuote. Don't worry about health issues. Remember, they help me. As a pastor, I'm concerned about your soul and helping you to make sure your family is taken care of. Life insurance is more affordable now than ever, so don't make them wish you'd made that call. 877-437-4781. Call now, 877-437-4781. 877-437-4781. Policy points and availability vary by state.
8: Bolivian President Evo Morales has announced his resignation under mounting pressure from the military and the public after his resignation victory triggered weeks of fraud allegations and deadly protests. The decision came after a day of fast-moving developments, including an offer from Morales to hold a new election. But the crisis deepened dramatically when the country's military chief went on national television to call on him to step down. Virginia Democrats chose Eileen Villercorn to become Speaker of the House of Delegates. Sharniel Herring will be its new majority leader. The choices of Fillercorn and Herring are historic for many reasons. Eileen Fillercorn is the first Jewish person and the first woman in the House's 400-year history to serve as Speaker. Charneel Herring will be the first woman and the first African-American to serve as Majority Leader. The blue wave on election night last Tuesday turned the Virginia State Legislature Democrat for the first time in over two decades. You're listening to USA Radio News.
0: Promoting God, family, and country. You are listening to Liberty Roundtable Radio.
1: I was saying right before the pause to Lone Nelson, Liberty.org that sadly we've almost turned bread and circus into blood and circus, sir.
2: Well, that's uh, an apt description, Sam, blood and circus, because that's what uh, seems to uh, keep us... Uh, entertained although internationally it's, it's
1: blood at home at circus sir
2: oh okay yeah yeah because most people don't know the blood's actually.
1: yeah that's that's the, the whole done. point of this is that you know what most people don't realize and that's part of the reason people are so hawkish because they kind of believe in their armchair quarterback position where they just see a little bit of positive things on tv or you know hey get the bad guys they they kind of ignorantly celebrate I'm so glad we got the bad guys. They, uh, the media has packaged such a, uh, is the word homogenized, uh, kind of a war experience to where, you know, we believe it's like safe and clean and precisioned and nobody gets hurt and there's no bad side or downside to it. Hey, we strategically or surgically remove the bad guys. And man, it's incredible just to, you know, and, and I think people kind of have that view because it's never touched their lives directly per se for most people. It's never really costed them money out of their wallets because it's all borrowed and fake money and manipulated currency. And In other words, people don't feel the realities of war, and therefore it's very easy to be hawkish in that dishonest, manipulated context,
0: sir.
2: Yeah, and in fact, if they experience war in their own neighborhood, you know, the, the bombs dropping in, in our neighborhood, then, yeah, we would have a much different perspective about war and about what we do to other countries, these people in other countries, they have lives, you know, just very similar to ours. They have aspirations, hopes, and dreams. They have businesses to run. They have families to raise. Um, and the children of these families, they have high hopes of, of uh, be, becoming educated and maybe owning their own business one day and and uh, having a family of their own. I mean, their, their hopes and dreams are not dissimilar to our own hopes and dreams, our plans, our businesses our way of life, and yet we shatter their lives with our bombs and with our uh, de- destructive force of, of war and create millions of, of refugees fleeing from their homes to, to other parts of the world. Uh, and we, we destroy their lives. We wound them. We maim. And and yet we don't feel their pain because we are so disconnected from them. And... Um, and so somehow we need to convey that to one another. We need to help our neighbors and friends understand the destructive force of of war that we are currently waging. I I think like the genocide in Yemen is probably the worst genocide in in history, in our our current modern-day history. Um, You know, tens of thousands of people are dying from cholera, and and uh, other infectious diseases because of the blockade on their port city of Hodeida, they can't get medical supplies, they can't get clean water, they can't get food.
1: Yeah, in and fact, Rand Paul had an incredible discussion with Wolf Blitzer about this very topic.
2: Yes, he did. And and I wouldn't mind
6: if if you were to play that. uh, All right, hold on. It starts now. now. We'll talk about it. At the very least, it begins the debate of whether or not we should be at war. We are refueling the Saudi bombers. So we are essentially part of the bombing campaign. We're helping them choose targets. And we are refueling the Saudi bombers that are dropping the bombs. It is said that thousands of civilians have died in Yemen because of this. Yes, we need to have a debate over this. And I don't know what the president will do, but he ought to come to Congress and ask for permission. We've given him no authority to get involved in the civil war in Yemen. And we have to ask the bigger question, is this making it better or worse? Are there more refugees or less? Jeez. Is there more chaos or less chaos with Saudi Arabia bombing into Yemen? So yeah, it's a debate we ought to have and no president should unilaterally have this authority without the approval of Congress. So for you this is
3: a moral issue because you know there's a lot of jobs at stake, certainly uh, if uh, a lot of these defense contractors stop selling uh, warplanes, other sophisticated equipment to Saudi Arabia, they're gonna, there's going to be a, a significant loss of jobs and revenue here in the United States. That's secondary from your standpoint. Well, not only is it a moral question, it's a
6: constitutional question. Our founding fathers very directly and specifically did not give the president the power to go to war. They gave it to Congress. So Congress needs to step up. And this is what I'm doing, stepping up and asserting our authority over foreign policy and that we need to be involved. We should not be in after the fact. Oh, we'll give you a consultation. No, we should be directing the president whether he has the power to do this or not. And I do not believe he has the constitutional power to do it, nor do I think it is wise. I think we are elevating an arms race in the Middle East. And I don't think it's good for America. And I think to have millions of new refugees. Look, Saudi Arabia hadn't taken any refugees. They were part of the violence in Syria. Many of the weapons that Saudi Arabia and Qatar set into the Syrian civil war, some of those wound up in the hands of al-Qaeda and ISIS, and then refugees are streaming across the world, Sorry. and Saudi Arabia foments this but didn't take any of the refugees.
1: There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I think it highlights perfectly the problem, uh, is that Congress has literally dumped their responsibility on the president. I don't know how the president's going to respond to this, but I hope we can back out of more and more and more of these wars because they are just absolutely hate-filled. And, you know, you got to ask, why do politicians love to make war? I mean, they seem to love it for some reason. Uh, Lowell's got two primary reasons, and then I've got a couple to add to the mix. Hopefully, Kurt has a couple to chime in as well. Lowell?
2: Well, thank you, Sam. I think the first reason is profit. It's it's greed, it's money, and so forth. You know, uh, Major General uh, Smedley Butler wrote a booklet in 1935. He recognized this problem uh, that long ago. I mean, that's like 85 years ago. And, And he wrote a booklet entitled, War is a Racket. For any of our listeners who have not read that little pamphlet, Please get it and read it. It's on the Internet, freely available. You can read it in an hour.
1: That- All right. So number one really is is money, and they fill their campaign coffers with filthy lucre from uh, literally war. And then it's almost impossible to uh, stand against the military-industrial complex when, hey, uh, you know what? You're beholden to that, quote, hawkish viewpoint. And it's very hard for politicians not to take the money. And then it's even harder for them to stand for what is honorable and correct and peaceful.
2: Exactly right, Sam. So the the politicians support war because their campaign coffers get filled by the corporations in the military, uh, you know, in the defense contract industry. They make campaign donations, contributions to all the the congressmen who will vote their way you know vote contracts their way so it's a self-interested reason that they you know politicians do it so their campaign coffers uh, get filled and uh, the corporations pay or or donate to these uh, politicians because they that brings contracts to them well
1: i want to add though that i think most politicians not all some are just purely evil but most of the politicians kind of think hey why shouldn't I take money to be patriotic and defend America? This war mentality is mm-hmm. defending America. War over there means peace over here. Uh, the military industrial complex really are the good guys. We celebrate it kind of every day. We wave the flag. We And I think a lot of people don't really connect the dots and understand how sinister it is. Again, they've created this sanitized or whatever you want to call it um, war image to where I think even the average politician is guilty of just thinking, hey, why wouldn't I take money from the good guys? And I think that's where yeah. the deception falls into line.
2: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Somehow we need to figure out how to, to help politicians you know, connect these dots. Um, and, and so that's my first reason, money and greed. The second reason, and then I, I, I'm interested to, for you guys to chime in with additional reasons, but the second reason, I believe, politicians like to make war. Uh, at least those who understand this issue is to extend and support the life of the petrol dollar. What is the petrol dollar? You ask. Well, that's this notion that oil uh, sold by OPEC countries can only be sold or exchanged for dollars, right? And so they tied. You know, when, the, when Nixon pulled, uh, uh, well, detached gold. Uh, I mean, what did he do? He the gold standard of ni- in 1973, Nixon. Refused to um, give gold out anymore, and, and, and basically said um, to those who had had claims for the gold, no longer are we going to sell it for thirty-five dollars an ounce, right? So he shut the he detached the dollar from gold at that point, and we needed a new commodity to attach the dollar to. So it became attached to the petrodollar dollar when we signed that agreement in 1974. Um, which uh, many of you remember the gas shortages in the 1970s. Uh, that was because Saudi Arabia put an oil embargo, and, and we didn't have enough oil coming in, and so gas prices went up. So so the to- bottom
1: line is the first reason low is money. The second reason is dishonest money, and you're spot on on both of them. Ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, I'm the pitcher. Kirk Crosby is up the bat. And uh, you know what? We'll give you a couple of other reasons why politicians love to make war. Kurt Cosby, Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org, on your radio.
9: Dad, can you make him stop?
10: Honey, he needs to practice.
9: He's been at it an hour.
10: Well, just trying to be patient. Dad... It sounds like a cat calling for help or something.
9: Worse, a basement full of cats. Yeah. You know, honey it is a little hard on
10: the ears.
11: Not you, too.
10: Well, maybe we can all play a game. Andrew, do you want to play a board game? Uh, how about we watch a video? Hide and seek? Oh, I don't know. I give up.
4: Maybe we could all just sneak out of the house.
9: Honey, he's nine years old. We can't leave him home alone. And we can make him practice with a sock.
7: Well, I guess we'll have to get some ice cream.
9: Did I hear someone say, ice cream?
7: Family, isn't it about time?
9: Oh, I see the practice hasn't hurt your ears. Well, I'm a serious musician. Funny that you never seem to get better on that thing. Works every time.
0: From the Church of Jesus Christ
3: of Latter-day Saints.
11: Hey, uh, where'd all these cats come from?
3: If Planned Parenthood were what they publicly declare themselves to be, They would welcome transparency. We all know why they hide, because we know what they hide. We can confirm federal judges who follow the Constitution rather than reverse engineer their preferred policy outcomes. The truth about abortion is spreading because of advances in medical imaging, because of brave journalists, tireless activists, compassionate doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals. The rising generation of young Americans is the most pro-life in decades because they know too. And one day soon, we will reaffirm our nation's principles in their dignified fullness and avow once again that all men are created equal. All are entitled to life.
0: Begging politicians, bureaucrats, and educrats, and all do-gooders to please obey the supreme law of the land, the Constitution. This is Liberty Roundtable.
1: Hey, Kurt, a dear family member is wanting to know uh, when the bacon... Honey donuts are coming out, so just thought I'd throw that out there. By the way, if you guys want raw honey delivered directly to your door, get a hold of Kurt, C-U-R-T, at LibertyRoundTable.com or dial. You can call or text 801-669-2211 or go straight to the website and order online at localhoneyman.com. So, Kurt, you're up to bat, sir. Why do politicians love to wage war, sir?
11: Well, just before we get to that real quick, Sam, just so you know, at least uh, for your dear family member or uh, anyone else, um, we've got some Marshmallow Dream honey available, and we do have, uh, and that's not on the website, but you can just make a special request, um, we do have the, uh, that's from a plant uh, that grows in Oregon called uh, Meadow Foam, and so you get the uh, Marshmallow Dream basically... Uh, when we were pouring it, I remember my wife mentioned that the whole room smelled like marshmallows, so this this flower makes the honey, you know, taste like marshmallow. And then the, we do have a little raspberry in stock as well. Anyway, back to your question. I was looking up this petrodollar thing just to understand it a little bit more. James Chen writes about it at Investopedia. I think... Uh, Few people really understand this, but uh, he says petrodollars are U.S. dollars paid to an oil exporting country for the sale of the commodity. Put simply, the petrodollar system is an exchange of oil for U.S. dollars between countries that buy oil and those that produce it. The petrodollar was the result of the oil crisis in the mid-70s, when prices spiked to record levels. It helped increase the stability of oil prices denominated in U.S. dollars. The term regained notoriety in the early part of the 2000s when oil prices rose once again. Although petrodollars initially referred primarily to money that Middle Eastern countries and members of the OPEC, boys, are received, the definition has broadened to include other countries in recent years. I say, uh, history of the petrodollar system. The origins of the petrodollar system go back to the Bretton Woods Agreement, which replaced the gold standard with the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency. Under the agreement, the U.S. dollar was pegged to gold, while other global currencies were pegged to the U.S. dollar. But because of massive stagflation, President Nixon announced in 71 that the greenback would no longer be exchanged for gold to boost economic growth for the U.S. Anyway, uh, I just thought that might be helpful, but since, uh, well, I didn't understand all that stuff, and, you know, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we just followed the Constitution where it says, no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin, a tender in payment of debts. Seems pretty simple compared to all this petrodollar gobbledygook. But anyway, uh, you know, why do politicians, uh, you know, um, basically promote war? I wish we could change the question to uh, why should statesmen even ever uh, take the U.S. into war? And the answer would be um, if we are truly defending... Um, our freedoms and or defending uh, our allies and it's truly a defense reason not an offense reason and not because uh, some big corporation needs to enhance their stocks uh, or some big uh, lobbyist puts a bunch of bucks into the back pockets of some you know, corrupt politicians, none of that should be part of it. Uh, it should be, you know, I've ever one uh, leader, uh, a hope for leader in the past said that, hey, if we're going to war, I will lead the Congress into battle, and we won't just send the uh, young men and women in to suffer and die for us. I will go and front of congress and we'll go to battle i think we'd have a whole lot less war in that case
1: yeah so that's i understand Greith,
11: kurt's right? point it's a great
1: a great point to redefine the question and i agree when is war justified was kurt's p- uh, primary focus and point and i think that's a real answer to the question well
2: yeah i agree um that was Bo grites right they said he would be willing to lead uh, charge. I mean, if if we go to war, if, if Congress declares war, he would be at the front.
11: <clears throat> that was in. Uh, I I almost think President Trump would almost take up that thing, and I'll bet you'd have very few in the Congress that said, "Ah, hmm, we'll be there with you." You know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very few. Yeah.
11: Yeah.
1: I would say well, a like couple that. of other reasons that that politicians love to go to war. It does two things. Um, when things go good, they can take credit. They can, you know, say, hey, the president did a great job, and, you know, we support him, we funded it, and, and they take credit. Yes, I'm with the president. Yes, 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 yes. However, when things go badly or when things go sideways is another way to put it, then they can kind of say, see, the president's kind of going rogue. We, we're we trying to stop him, but by golly, we can't really not fund the war that he always puts us in because the poor veterans are in harm's way, and, you know, I mean, you care about the veteran, And so they have this ability to uh, circumvent their hard answers responsibility. In other words, hey, uh, I want to take the credit when it's there and I want to, you know, dodge the responsibility when it doesn't go well and I want it both ways and the best way to do that is just to kind of obliterate the separation of powers that our founders put in place. And I think that oftentimes becomes the reality where it gives a politician the ability to to really do well when it's going well. Uh, But yet to, well, Blame somebody else when it doesn't go too well and say, I'm doing my best in spite of it all, people. I'm the good guy trying to deal with our rogue president and trying to deal with the legitimate war needs and trying to care for them. I'm the good guy here. And the lies and the dishonesty continue. I think that's one of the big reasons. Another big reason, I think, is because the people love war. If the people didn't love war, if the people weren't into blood and circus, then the fact is it would be unpopular. Whenever they came to your district would be like, hey, how? what are you doing to get us out of this war? What are you doing to, um, you know what, find out what the will of the people is on this? Uh, but they know the people love war, and so then, you know, our congressman comes home or our senator comes home, and uh, even when the war's not going well, we say, well, we know you had to fund it, that crazy president, those poor vets, and we even praise them when it goes bad, and they love it. They know the people love war, and it's a good campaign slash election focus to say you know what i defend america hardcore i'm not letting the bad guys get an upper hand on us by golly i'm gonna and so it goes well for them for two reasons one to shift blame to take credit but they know the people love war and that's a sad indictment on the people but if it weren't true every representative would be taking a beating okay and i say that because let's be very very clear okay the U.S. has been at war 93% of the time since 1776. In other words, there's only been about 25 years that we haven't been at a war with somebody. It's a staggering statistic, but if the people didn't like war, it would stop, Lowell. <laughs> so true. Sir. So those are my two highlighted reasons, sir.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that very much. You know, one of the congressional candidates in an email, campaign email to me, talked about you know a little bit about war, and I, I I inferred that this candidate would would be supportive, would be a hawk, another hawk in Congress. And so I wrote back to this congressional candidate, and I I explained you know antiwar.com and and uh, the petrol dollar and, and several other uh, things about it. I mean, but but this can this candidate, the main reason this candidate was hawkish and supportive of the war. Was well, simply because um, uh, he or she—I better not say exactly who it is—but uh, he or she thought that, well, we don't want to see um, another Hitler take over, right? I mean, so a lot of people mistakenly believe that we're involved in these wars because we don't want bad guys, tyrants, dictators to kill people, you know. And and you know, I and I feel. For them, I, I, I have some of those same feelings. I don't like it when, you know, some dictator in some country starts killing people. But the, it, we do far more damage in the long run by intervening, because how can we demonstrate, how can we exemplify peace when we go in there with a barrel of a gun and enforce our, our will upon a sovereign, you know, another sovereign country? And, and we say, well, you're you're a bad guy because you've been killing your people. You torture and kill your people. You're a bad guy. We're taking you out, right? I mean, that's what people believe happens with regime change. But what instead happens, Sam and Kurt, is that these regime change operations almost always involve sanctions, where we withhold money, food, water, medical supplies, and so forth from that country, and, and we, we we sanction other countries who try to— provide those things. And it ends up killing or ends up in the death of thousands,
1: tens of thousands. Yeah, the blowback becomes tremendous, to say the least. And that's why we're becoming the most hated hegemonist nation in the world. uh, At this point, we need to finish. We're about out of time. And I want you to get to this lull. Why citizens should oppose the war. We've been at war 93% of the time our country has been in existence. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to celebrate Veterans Day in a responsible way why should we oppose war lull
2: well number one it's immoral it results in the death and destruction of of millions of people and so it's that's reason number two number three it's not constitutional to be involved in a war that has not been declared by congress so there's a constitutional reason there's the ethical reason there's the there uh the humanitarian reason are the three biggest reasons I can think of that you know citizens should should uh, should not support war. Why we should oppose these these endless wars. You know, just uh, this this. Uh, there's a Gary Barnett in Montana whose article I found at Lou just yesterday or today. I guess it was yesterday. And he says he says this quote: "The costs of war are deep-seated and long-lasting." and the scars of conflict remain permanently embedded in the minds and souls of the innocent victim. Even as the pain subsides, the anger continues to fester long after the aggression has quieted. The result is a continued risk of blowback that can escalate into even more war. This vicious cycle leads to never-ending war, and that is what is sought by the warmongers and the war profiteers. And those ruling elite seeking to eliminate individual sovereignty in order to gain global societal control. End of quote. And so actually, that's another reason. We didn't talk about that one, Sam. It's the global control, right? I mean, if, if the warmongers can get us to start fighting each other and dividing, and then they can conquer. They can say, okay, we need a, a global governance body, governing body. To end these wars. And so that will be their answer to end these wars. And we'll end up being subservient to some global governing group like the United Nations.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, let's celebrate Veterans Day. Or better say, Armistice Day. Let's celebrate that day responsibly, ladies and gentlemen. Let's begin to realize the untold costs of war. And let's end them. Remember, we got to change our hearts, change our culture, and politics will follow. LOL, great hour. Thank you so much, sir. Godspeed. Uh, We declare we, the people, along with the grace of the Almighty, we can and will restore our grand old republic. Please get involved. Make it a great day. Choose the right. Donate at libertyroundtable.com, would you please? And we declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America.
0: Live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk, radio Show. talk Show.
1: Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Hard hitting talk radio continues. This is hour two of two. It is November the 11th in the year of our Lord 2019, and our goal always is to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country and the traditions of our founding fathers. Happy Armistice Day. Or some people say Veterans Day. Believe it or not, I don't really know that we ought to, uh, wishing people a happy day today. I don't know that it's a happy day. I like to think of it more of wishing people a reverent, a reverent, I'm sorry, a reverent Veterans Day. Or maybe you want to say a grateful Veterans Day. And I'm grateful that America's safe for sure. Uh, but the term armistice is really important to understand, uh, It means truce or an agreement to end the war, to end the fighting. Yes, ending fighting in America or around the world on behalf of America would truly be a reason to celebrate, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We fall for many, many, many lies surrounding war, okay? You know what? Politicians like to make war because it gives them a lot of money. It lets them avoid responsibility. It lets them to take credit. When uh, things are going well, but yet place blame elsewhere when things aren't going well. The people, sadly, love war. Instead of bread and circus, we've become blood and circus in America. It's an absolute sad shame. We ought not be a warlike people. We ought to be a peaceful people, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, indeed, war is a racket. To learn more, you can check out the booklet, War is a Racket, by Major General Smedley Butler. And uh, that's available on the Internet. Check that out. But you know what? We should oppose war, folks, for a lot, a lot, a lot of reasons. We talked about war all last hour. And the doctor's in the house, so I wanted to give him a chance to chime in on this topic as well. Dr. Scott Bradley with us, his goal to preserve the nation. And uh, he speaks out constitutionally every chance he gets on his website, freedomsrisingsun.com. And there's a Q&A, webinars, and a whole lot more, not to mention his books and collegiate series, etc., freedomsrisingsun.com the goal is to preserve the nation uh and so let's talk about this war a little bit on veterans day i want to start out and say i don't know that it's a happy veterans day but it certainly should be a grateful one uh, that we're at peace and when i say we're at peace that you know what war hasn't touched the average american uh and if so it's very rare and very fleeting uh and so when they basically um sanitize the wars and they're overseas and we don't really know, all we see is kind of a television's view of the war, uh, out of sight, out of mind, but yet, by golly, wave the flag idea, then people have this decepted, or deception uh, over what war really is and how abusive and hostile and hate-filled and evil uh, war is. And so anyway, I digress except to introduce the summary of last hour to Scott Bradley for his uh, additions and consultation, if you will. Scott, welcome, sir.
12: Well, thank you very much, and of course I would always have much to say about many different topics, but war is perhaps the germ of all evil. Uh, Every single wicked thing that happens on the earth is magnified by war, and consequently the American founding fathers were very concerned. They wanted it to be, you know, they knew they would have to enter into it occasionally when wicked nations or wicked peoples You know, basically forced it upon them, but they wanted it to be a deliberative process where justice was considered, and and there was to be a defensive war. Never, never, never was it to be a take-the-war-to-the-other-people, and uh, we can prove that every way to Sunday. But perhaps, I, I know you don't want to thrash this the rest of your next hour, but let me just read you a couple of things James Madison said about war. And and it bears review and consideration. Uh, By the way, before you continue
1: on that, Scott, I want to bring up a question. Uh, Kurt Crosby, I don't know if he directly asked the question, but he certainly alluded to the question, uh, which was instead of saying, hey, why do politicians like to make war? Kurt basically said it slightly different, uh, which is and I kind of turned his prose into a question to summarize, to get your arms around the point. But. Kurt said he wishes we could redefine the question to really, when is war really justified? How do you know when war really makes sense versus when it's wrong to go to war? And is there a justification for war ever? And the answer is yes, but it's very limited in scope and different from what the average American believes or feels as well. Before we get to Scott, did I articulate that well enough, Kurt? All right, well, Kurt's missing an action. Scott, that's you the say summary. say that
11: question one more time for me, please?
1: Well, it was your question. Did I summarize well, your question right?
11: I think it's fine. Same. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right, so when is war really justified was kind of Kurt's point, and it's rarely, but it's a better question than why do people like to go to war uh, to say when is war justified because then it articulates, you know what, there are legitimate reasons to go to war, but very, very, very few. And so I think Kurt's point on this was wise and really kind of reset the discussion to be a whole lot more constitutionally meaningful, Scott.
12: Well, indeed, uh, the uh, uh, justification for entering into any war is very narrow, and in fact, uh, you're aware of uh, probably, we, I consider him to probably be one of the 20th century's most uh, amazing constitutional scholars, uh, a guy by the name of J. Ruben Clark, Jr. He was a... Um, under Secretary of State, a brilliant man. His writings are incisive and and insightful. And uh, my reading of him, I have come to the conclusion that, that he felt that the last just war that the United States was involved in was the war of eighteen twelve. That's how rare they are. And uh, and the the fact is, we say, oh, you got to support the troops. All oh, how could you be so unpatriotic? And yada yada yada. How about if we supported the troops by not sending them into harm's way unless it was a just war? that had been duly considered through our deliberative process that the founders outlined in you know the constitution article 1 section 8 clause 11 where congress the people closest to the people that were elected by the people and that had to pay for it in the old days of course the people elected the congressmen the states uh, uh, basically appointed the senators the states would end up with a bill if you will the people ended up sp- you know, spending their lives on the thing, and they were the ones to be closest to it. There was never, ever, ever any justification for delegating that authority to anybody. And in fact, uh, constitutional protocol prohibits that. Whether you go to uh, John Locke and his Second Treatise, or you go to uh, Saint George Tucker, or you go to uh, Thomas Jefferson, every one of them said you cannot redelegate an authority that was delegated by the people through the Constitution to the legislative. So.
1: Here's here's the deal. It the And by are, way are, by the way, just to add, none of the branches can delegate their just defined authority. Correct. All right. So and, I just want to it, broaden that and make sure people understand. Nobody has the authority to give to another what was given to them to do.
12: Right. You cannot redelegate. So here's what Madison said in the convention, and then I'll give you something else we can carry on with whatever you want. But um the the, the one that the, The first statement was made during the convention of 1787. The last one was made toward the end of his life. Okay, so he held this position all his life. He said, in times of actual war, the discretionary powers are constantly given to the executive magistrate. Constant apprehension of war has the same tendency to render the head, meaning the executive, too large for the body. A standing military force with its overgrown executive will not long be safe companions to liberty. The means of defense against foreign danger have always have been always the instruments of tyranny at home. Among the Romans, it was a standing maxim to excite a war whenever a revolt was apprehended. Throughout all Europe, the armies kept up under the pretense of defending have enslaved the people. Okay, that was made during the, the convention. Here he is later in his life. Of all the enemies to liberty, public liberty, war is perhaps the most to be dreaded because it comprises and develops the germ of every other. War is the parent of armies, from these proceed debts and taxes, and armies and debts and taxes are known instruments for bringing the many under the dominion of the few. In war, too, the discretionary powers of the executive is extended. Its influence in dealing out offices, honors, and emoluments is multiplied, and all the means of seducing the minds are added to those of subduing the force of the people. Now, this final statement is, is a critical one. No nation could preserve its freedom in the midst of continual warfare. Okay, folks.
1: All right, hold on, hold on. on. I want you to repeat that phrase. It's so vital to understand, sir. Say that again.
12: No nation could preserve its freedom in the midst of continual warfare. Since 9-11-2001, we have been told repeatedly we are in a generational war. That means my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, now, of course, I could give you so many other statements by uh, the illuminaries, such as George Washington and St. George Tucker, just incisively, just eviscerating this going into war for for these unjust causes. And honestly, uh, if if you read J. Reuben Clark, we haven't been in very many just wars. We have, in fact, we've been the ones that have been aggressively pursuing them. In fact, when I was little, of course, I early in my life, started considering the scriptures and those things. And I, I knew of the conflagrations that would occur in the, the Middle East in the last days and, and the, you know, 200 million man-armies that were met together and yada, yada, yada. And and it, it concerned me, and I considered deeply, uh, would the United States be involved in those things? And, and, and I came to the conclusion as a young, naive boy, under six years old, I was probably four or five, I mean, that's how early I was pondering this, that America was too great, America was too good. The principles that the nation was founded on would prevent us from being in these conflagrations and we would be able to stand independent of these things. And now that I'm older, a little bit more cynical perhaps, I find America being not just there, we are the instigators in many instances, under the goadings of other nations, of course, in many instances. We do the we're kind of the puppet instead of the big, strong nation. And Washington, by the way, addressed this very clearly in his uh, uh, farewell address about how a nation could become basically enslaved to another and actually lose its liberty. So but we can talk about all this if you want further. I mean holy cow, there's so much to talk about, I'm sure.
1: Amen to that. Liberty Roundtable Live, ladies and gentlemen, Sam, Kurt, and Dr. Scott Bradley in the house. freedomsrisingsun.com, is website. Is war peace or peace war?
9: This is the school where character and embracing the providence of a living God are fundamental. Where students' national test scores average near the 90th percentile. With American Heritage School's advanced distance education program, distance is no longer an issue. With an accredited LDS-oriented curriculum from kindergarten through 12th grade, your children can attend from anywhere in the world. American Heritage School will prepare your child for more than a job. It will prepare them for life. To learn more, visit American-Heritage.org. That's American-Heritage.org.
10: Liberty is not free. Its costs are innumerable. Without monetary funding, the valiant efforts of freedom-loving Americans become diminished or outright defeated. We present a solution, the Give Me Liberty Fund. The plan is quite simple. Invite individual Americans to contribute less than a dollar a day. These monetary funds are used to promote liberty minded media, organizations, events, candidates, movements, and speakers. In the spirit of transparency, all expenditures are published. Patriotic business owners provide discounted products and services to Give Me Liberty Fund members. Our greatest strength is in numbers. Go to givemelibertyfund.com and become part of the solution today. GiveMeLibertyFund.com participate in the peaceful restoration of the greatest and freest country in the world
0: with news the networks refuse to use you are listening to the liberty roundtable radio talk show all right, Scott,
1: didn't mean to interrupt you. Thanks for your patience with us. So, you know, this idea of peace is war, war is peace, I think the people are greatly deceived, but the Founding Fathers had an absolute clear view of the evils uh, and the concerns about war, and they articulated such, um, I don't know if I want to say every chance they got, but almost.
12: They they really, truly were uh, very enlightened in, in this process. We have become a nation of warmongers, unfortunately, Guys like Lindsey Graham have never seen anything happen in the world they didn't want to kill some Marines in. Mean, it's appalling to me that that we take the lives of our people so lightly and, uh, you know, they're so sanitized in their little hallowed halls of Congress and everything. And the media, everybody loves the smell of napalm in the morning, you know, when they're in the media and we can go out and, uh, and thrash somebody else around the world. I mean, just, just briefly again. I, I tell you, there's so much to be said, but here's a brief statement. Well, I'm truncating it very much, from St. George Tucker, uh, probably one of the preeminent constitutional scholars of the founding era. But he said, "The term war embraces the extremes of human misery and iniquity, and is alike the offspring of the one and the parent of the other." What else is the history of war from the earliest ages to the present moment but an afflicting detail of the suffering? and calamities of mankind resulting from the ambition, usurpation, animosities, resentments, piques, intrigues, avarice, rapacity, oppressions, murders, assassinations, and other crimes of the few possessing power. How rare are the instances of a just war? How few of those which have been thus denominated have their existence in a national injury? The personal claims of the sovereign are confounded with the interests of the nation over which he presides, and his private grievances or complaints are transformed to the people who are thus made the victims of a quarrel in which they have no part until they have become principals in it. I mean, think about this for a minute. We, it's like, oh yeah, well, I mean, I can tell you instances. I mean, I lost friends. I mean, we, we have instances of people that, you know, tragic situations, and, and, and and you say, oh, man, they did awful. It is awful. But we put them in places they should never have been. I mean, you know, there's an in, instance uh, here about 60 miles away from me where we lost a a young father and everything. He was in Afghanistan. And it's like, what the heck was he doing there? I mean, here we are. This is 18-plus years that we've been embroiled in that thing. And Afghanistan, They they've shifted the... The plan they 've shifted their mission so many times, nobody knows what it is, and the ones i 've talked to that have spent time there they have they used to have posters up i don 't know if they still do in the chow halls and everything they said believe in the mission, you get people aside privately. nobody believes in the mission the mission's shifting constantly and and what we 're doing there is just slaughtering good and wonderful people spending a fortune and on, on things that we shouldn't be involved in. And it was never, never, ever a war to be in to begin with. And uh, Iraq is even more difficult to justify. And Syria, how do we even get there? Look at Somalia for goodness sakes. Anywhere you look, it's totally unjustified. And we can't seem to bring it to closure. Trump keeps saying he's going to pull people out of all the foreign wars and specifically he's talked recently about Syria he pulls somebody out, puts them in Iraq just across the border, and he sends somebody else in. I mean, and, and then they go in to take our oil? What? Just war has nothing to do with Middle Eastern oil or being a policeman for the world. None of that is even entered into it. And and just war has a lot to do with our own defense of our ability to worship our God, practice our religion, enjoy the liberty of, of providing for our families, and being able to lift and bless our fellow man. We need to be able to, to recognize that it has nothing to do with all of the uh, completely fabricated, uh, trumped-up, tr- I hate to use that term, trumped-up purposes that, that we currently get constantly. And uh, we have become a warlike people, a warmongering people, and we think that you, if you're a patriot, You've got to be for going out and slaughtering the masses, going overseas, meeting interesting people, and killing them, for crying out loud. And and it's like, think about this for a minute. If if in the United States of America, a foreign power came here and spent nights going into homes, communities, kicking doors in, scaring the women and children, would we have an insurgency here? I hope we would. I hope everybody would be up in arms against that. And no, so now we say, well... Yeah, but the insurgents ought to settle down in Afghanistan and let us kick their doors in and scare their women and children. For heaven's sake, who's invaded what country? I mean, if this is appalling to me. And you say, oh, well, they're going to bring the war here. They never brought the war here until after we had offended everybody to the point that we've created all this blowback from all of the enemies. we've. If you kill my brother with an unrighteous war, do you think I'm going to say, "Ah, oh, that's okay? you think there'll be blowback? It's really astounding to me. And and we can't figure out why so many people are offended with the nation nowadays. Well, anyway, don't get me started.
1: (laughs) See, I love it when honest Americans who understand the supreme law of our land sound off on the intent of our founders, because it's really, really vital to understand, and especially on Veterans Day. Um it's important to think through these critical issues. It's you know, good to be grateful for and to, I don't know if I want to celebrate Veterans Day. I I think the wrong words are used, but I think we really need to highlight the reality of the situation. I don't think most Americans are even understanding or I don't even think they have a, a handle on the reality of war, Scott.
12: Well, let me, let me just give an example. And, and again, I'm, I'm flipping through George Washington's farewell. I'm looking through, I mean, all the founders, it, it, incredibly. But let me just use a personal example, how, how perverted things become. Some of you may remember uh, the spring of 1970. That's the uh, time where we invaded Cambodia. Now, uh, I was serving at the time, and uh, it, to, to me, I mean, I, I'm a dumb kid, okay? But to me, it was an appalling Divergence from Americanist principle. We invaded a sovereign country. Now I've heard people say, "Yeah, well, the VC were running across the river." Well, they weren't running; they were swimming across the river. Constantly, they'd hit and run back across the river, and, and so anyway. But but it was a sovereign country. United States invaded Cambodia, and and it was like for, for even a dumb kid like me, it was like, "Holy cow!" I, what, what, what where's, the, where's the constitutionality of this? I mean, you know, some people say, well, we were invited into South Vietnam, and, of course, it, it was fought under the SEATO, the Southeast Asia Treaty Organization Treaty, which insisted the United States come in under that, and we'll, we could talk about the fallacy of that at some point. But here we were in the spring of 1970 invading Cambodia. Now, some of us, we probably talked a little more than we should have about that. Now, that was just within our little unit, Okay. But across the nations of the world, it was like, "Holy cow, what's going on?" I mean, this is—I mean, the United States just doesn't up and invade foreign countries in 1970. Now, all of that's changed. It became—it became commonplace and has just become the way of life now. Nobody gives a blinks and eyelash except for some of us that want to abide by the principles. But let me tell you what happened to to me. Now, I don't know how widespread this was. It could have been a small unit that the the CO got concerned about the grumbling that was going on, and he wanted to put a stop to it. Well, that may have been military-wide. I do not know. Like I say, I was a dumb kid. But our commanding officer, our CO, brought some of us in and insisted that we take an oath to uphold the president. Okay. Now, the oath I took when I joined was to uphold the Constitution. It doesn't have an expiration date. There is no uh, goal until you're you know, 25 years old or anything like this. I, I still abide by that oath. But what happened was this CO wanted, and not a large group of us, to put our arm to the square and take an oath to uphold the United States president. Now, what he was creating, and I don't, again, I don't know how widespread this was, but what he was creating is in essence what the Romans used, a praetorian guard, a palace guard. And and our oath runs not to a, a man or a, a, anything. It runs to the, to the foundation of this nation upholding our liberty and all of it that's been vouchsafed through the United States Constitution. I refuse to take that oath. I don't know why I wasn't hung out to dry. For some reason, there were no repercussions for me anyway. But the fact of the matter is, and it may have been that they realized, hey, look, this kid's just dumb enough to fight it, you know, But but at any rate, what what is happening? we become perverse in our belief system. And and we take uh, this this issue of war since then, in the last 50 years, nearly, that that it's become so completely universal, so general, as to it ultimately, I believe, will affect all of us. And we're in the process, I think, of of setting it up so even our little girls are gonna have to be drafted. The Congress right now is studying Universal registration for a draft. We don't have a draft now, but I think that the, the fix is in. They've decided, oh, now all women can be in. And I better.
1: pray this never happens, ladies and gentlemen. Get on your knees and say your prayers. That would be disaster. Liberty Roundtable Live continues in seconds with Dr. Scott Bradley.
0: Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio.
7: USA Radio News with Chris Barnes.
13: A top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee, one of the three panels leading the impeachment inquiry, is now defending the whistleblower whose complaint sparked the inquiry into President Trump. Texas Congressman Will Hurd saying on Fox News Sunday...
6: We should be
0: protecting the identity of the whistleblower. I've said that from the very beginning, because how we treat this whistleblower will impact whistleblowers in the future.
13: Adding that having a whistleblower law on the books is important as an overall check and balance. Former U.S. U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley saying that two top members of the Trump administration were trying to get her to undermine President Trump. Haley says that former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and former Chief of Staff John Kelly told her they were resisting the president because they were trying to save the country. And this is USA Radio News.
0: Liberty Mutual Insurance Company presents And Doug Lehman when we're not telling people that Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need I've actually been moonlighting as a DJ check it
1: here's the good part
3: Liberty, 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 liberty. Only pay for what you need at libertymutual.com.
2: Friends and family, I've told you about the great sleep I get with my MyPillow every night. Well, right now you can get a great deal and extra safety because if you go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special. Get their buy one get one free offer on the My Pillow Premium Pillow, your 60-day money back guarantee goes all the way through March first, 2020. That's now through December 25th. When you go to mypillow.com, click on the Radio Lister special and use my promo code USA.
13: Record cold could be coming to dozens of US cities this week as the National Weather Service is forecasting lows that would break or tie records in at least 148 cities between Tuesday And Thursday, it's Veterans Day, plenty of businesses offering discounts and freebies to veterans and active-duty service members. President Trump will be speaking at the beginning of a parade in New York City. The people's choice awards last night where one of the night's biggest moments came from actor comedian kevin hart he was there to accept the award for comedy act of 2019 and it was his first major public appearance since he was seriously injured in a car crash last september he says first and foremost
2: man thank god because i definitely don't have to be here being that i am it makes me appreciate life even more it makes me appreciate the things that really matter Family, I want to thank my wife, my kids,
13: USA Radio News.
1: All right, live and on your radio, I think this war issue on Veterans Day is so critical to cover. Now, I don't believe the average American understands what's happening. We're in over 130. Nations, militarily speaking, we spend probably more money on war and have spent more money on war than probably any other issue in the history of the world. We've been in, at war 93 percent of our nation's history. Scott,
12: you know, uh, George Washington warned against um, kind of these um, entangling alliances, if you will, with with foreign powers and and and. Picking favorites and everything, and I could literally read you paragraphs of it. We don't have time, I know. But let me illustrate the concern with a statement John F. Kennedy made. It was a stupid statement. It was wrong, and it had a bad outcome. But you can replace the country he's talking about here with any other country in the world you want. Pick your favorite. Pick your least favorite. Whatever you want. Put it in this statement and see if it does not have the same play out that it does. This is a statement that we all know had a happily ever after uh, ending. Now, I'm saying that very sadly, but here's what he said. Vietnam represents a test of American responsibility and determination in Asia. If we are not the parents of little Vietnam, then surely we are the godparents. We presided at its birth. We gave assistance to its life. We have helped to shape its future. As French influence in the political, economic, and military spheres has declined in Vietnam, American influence has steadily grown. This is our offspring. We cannot abandon it. We cannot ignore its needs. And if it falls victim to any of the perils that threaten its existence, communism, political anarchy, poverty, and the rest, then the United States, with some justification, will be held responsible, and our prestige in Asia will sink to a new low." End quote. Now, the fact of the matter is, this was ill-conceived. I've got a book sitting right here right now. It's uh, a Robert McNamara book that I've been kind of nauseating myself through. It's called In Retrospect. McNamara was one of the whiz kids that came in to, you know, support the Kennedy administration, and then it became his war and Lyndon Johnson's war and everything. But you know what? In retrospect, he gives himself and all of those that colluded on this a pass. Ah, we were kind of naive. Ah, we didn't quite understand. Huh ah, well, it just came out that way. The 58,000 Americans that died, the hundreds of thousands that got maimed, the millions of Vietnamese that got killed and, and maimed, it, it's appalling to me. But but McNamara gives everybody that was involved in it a pass, saying, well, well we probably know better now. If they had studied the American Foundation, looked at the Constitution for crying out loud, if they had read the words of the American Founders, and looked at what they said about war, they would have understood that was ill-conceived from the very moment it started. And uh, it it just is appalling to me that we didn't learn anything from it, except for maybe better body armor or something. I mean, you know, it's something that that now we have a different approach, and we we have fewer casualties than we had during Vietnam. But to tell you the truth, we're we're setting up a conflagration, ultimately, that is scriptural, And if we read and understand the scriptures, I think we have to understand that there's trouble brewing, and and we're right in the middle of it. So uh, our nation has a lot to bear, I'm afraid, on this.
1: Uh, Kurt, do you want to chime in on this? I think that we're in a very precarious situation. We cannot wage war around the world forever without repercussions from other nations in terms of blowback, as Ron Paul and the CIA highly documented. Uh, that blowback can be severe. We become the hegemony nation of the world that others fear and hate. Uh, And not to mention the repercussions of man or the blowback from man. Uh, We cannot do this and qualify for God's blessings. Um, So as Scott wisely says, we're in serious trouble on this one.
11: Well, um, and yet we have, uh, you know, there are ways out of it. Uh, There's certainly... Time to repent and that kind of thing, but, um, you know, the scriptures, uh, and I I would like to hope that, the you know, the guys in charge of the whole war thing and all that stuff and the peace of our nation and things like that would uh, be aware of scripture and uh, maybe even consult, um, well... Um, godly men and hopefully be that way in prayer and all that kind of thing. Uh, I, I mean, I think there are solutions, but it is true that it uh, uh, looks like we're in for nasty weather. There you
1: have it, Scott. I know we've spent a long time on this topic, but I I really believe for Veterans Day, it's justified. We spend more money on war and the downstream realities of war than probably anything in our nation's history. We've been at war 93% of our nation's history. We're over 130 plus nations militarily speaking, and I see it nothing but increasing. I know we believe Donald's pulling us out of some things, and there's some very public focus issues that he's done some good things on, I've got to admit. But as a whole, I think we've got more war rather than less. Rumors of war, more war, literally every year, sir. It doesn't... Uh, deescalate in any way it just increases exponentially it seems uh, whether it be public or private or uh, for example are we at war in mexico well the drug cartels certainly are and we've funded the drug cartels and funded mexico with uh uh you know foreign aid and everything else for so long it's hard to say we're not even at war there although you would never say that we are uh we're not even in that nation militarily for the most part but so we're everywhere sir and it seems to be exponentially increasing. Am I crazy, or is it just my thought?
12: No, and the Scriptures say that there would be wars and rumors of wars, and and the people should understand that, and and we need to get our Scriptures out and read them, and I wish that our our leadership would. I wish that we had righteous leaders, uh, which I think there are a few, but they're rare, You know, Kurt asked the question that you relayed before, he asked the question before I came in, what what is it? And we could get into, you know, some real definitive statements about, okay, define it here, define it there. But in general, I think you need to understand that the laws for war, as as were set forth by the American founders, it must be defensive. It must be non-aggressive. It must be non-preemptive. It must be deliberative. There is a process that they go through. And and for us to wave the magic wand, I think back for a, a minute uh, here, um, September 2012, there was a Senate Joint Resolution 41 that was brought forth, and uh, unfortunately both of Utah's senators sponsored it, and there was a lot of other ones that did, that basically said we are delegating to the United States president the authority to decide whether we go to war with Iran. And it's like, whoa, 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 read Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11. No, you have that responsibility, up or down, okay? That passed with only nine, well, there were nine that that uh, didn't vote. There was one that voted against it. Everybody else voted for it. And it's like, think for a moment. The, this thing that is the most onerous of all burdens, and we just flippantly, and without any intelligence, it seems like, decide, oh we're going to let the president decide. And and you heard what, uh, and the rest of it, you didn't hear the whole rest of the statement by St. George Tucker that I told you I had to truncate. He talked about how every nation in the world will be blessed if the executive was not granted the power to take the nation to war. You, you read the Federalist Papers... <laughs> My heavens, you you always got something I want to read to you extra, but Hamilton clearly stated, the President did not have the authority to take us to war, and of course, neither does a treaty, and neither does any other goadings of another nation. It has a process it goes through, and and, uh, Tucker, by the way, talked at length about the stupidity of an idea that a treaty could take us to war without them uh, exercising the constitutional responsibility within Congress. This stuff has become so perverted, and and it is so onerous. This fact of war is such a burden for a nation, and and we enter into into it just flippantly as a people, and and we launch tomahawk missiles and say, "Oh, well, we're not in war. We're, it's a it's an aerial attack with missiles." If if it was an aerial attack and that wasn't war, what did Japan do to us on December seventh, nineteen forty one? It was a deliberative aerial attack, and it was an act of war, but the United States is doing the same thing to other countries with aerial attacks that we say, oh, we're not in war with them. And if not, we have other surrogate nations or that we're the surrogate of and we're providing the weapons for that carry war to other nations. And for example, the war in Yemen that the Saudis are doing right now, that couldn't be carried on without America's help. And and there's one of the biggest human, uh, I mean, not just human rights, it's, it's a crisis for humanity. The people are starving to death, their, their medical care, you know, the, there's two groups that were, bear the greatest brunt of war in, a, in the nation that's being attacked. They're the very old and the very young. They're most vulnerable to disease. Uh, you, know, you, get, you know, you blow up their water supply, their clean water supply, or their infrastructure to provide power. Okay, you get sanitation problems, and you can't run a hospital without power. The very old and the very young receive the greatest brunt of these things. It's just appalling if you think the, the whole long term, the collateral damage, if you will.
1: Amen you know to like that. And you got to think, too, sometimes we pretend we're helping, but are we indeed making it worse?
7: Kosher, certified. Put the two words together to get kosher certified which is spelled with an S-E-H instead of just S-H. It's the right way to spell this, the German way, and it made it easier to trademark. Now, did I tell you that the letters SCH still make the shh sound as in all those American food producers saying shhh, let's keep it really quiet that our product is kosher certified. Think about it. Nearly one century of kosher certification, and hardly anyone outside exclusive observers knows that most packaged food and kitchen products are literally certified by religious intermediaries. Well, because you, consumer, are indirectly paying for this, the Kosherified app is here to make kosher certification awareness an inclusive matter for people of all faiths and identities, and it even boasts a unique database of products not kosher certified. We call that NKC. Start memeing it. It's fun. NKC. Not Kosher Certified. Now, to confuse our audience even more, we put a question mark at the end of our name, and that really cinched our trademark approval. It relates to the website where you can begin your new shopping behavior, kosherquestion.com. Attention, Liberty News
0: Radio listeners. Hard-hitting talk radio has never been and never will be supported by the mainstream in America. Hard-hitting talk radio is taking on the mainstream press like never before news the networks refuse to use is one of the best ways to educate people we invite all liberty loving americans to join with us to restore the principles of our founding fathers and promote god family and country in the media and our lives please help spread the liberty message with your generous donation you can go online at libertynewsradio.com right now and make a donation online Or call 801-756-9133 and make a donation over the phone. That's libertynewsradio.com and 801-756-9133. Make a donation today.
1: Back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. This is, I know, a a long topic. We've talked about war for two hours now. Uh, But again, when we spend more money on that issue than any other, and when I find it to be morally, uh, it's a moral hazard. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's a a moral hazard. It's a a crime and a crisis. And, uh, I mean, we've turned bread and circus into blood and circus, it seems. Uh, And it's nothing but getting worse every single day. And the American people are just absolutely... Um, severed from the realities uh, of war. And that's the only way they can perpetuate it is dump it on the president. Congress claims they're doing their best to fund the veterans, even though they're not responsible. That's the lie. Uh, And then Americans are simply isolated from the realities of war. And so it's allowed to continue. But as Scott wisely said right before the pause, these wars wouldn't even be able to continue without the United States being involved, and the only way the United States can be involved and fund these illegal, unconstitutional, immoral wars uh, really is with dishonest money. So it goes back to the fake Federal Reserve, uh, literally becomes the engine for these wars. And I I bring it up and spend so much time on it because I think we really need to think about it. Instead of celebrating Veterans Day, uh, we need to basically think of Veterans Day as a day of gratitude, a day to refocus. We need to reset our compass, if you will, and say, where are we headed and what do we advocate for and why? And it's really critical to understand when is war justifiable? And I would submit to you in 99% of the wars that have been waged around the world for literally since Cain killed Abel uh, and the wars that America has been in, 93% of her, quote, short history, if you will, um, 93% of the time you kind of go, What percent of that is literally justified? And I submit to you that it is very, very little indeed, Scott. Finish on that and then wrap us up by what can we do to get out of these wars? I mean, I feel like my hands are tied and I'm like disenfranchised from this discussion, really, if you will.
12: Well, you know, first of all, before we leave this, I I must say, now there are probably those that are saying, oh, you're dishonoring our our, our warriors and all this. No, 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 nothing could be farther from the truth. If you go back and read Douglas MacArthur's, farewell address at West Point, he talked about the warrior really is the one that bears the pains, the sorrows, and, and, and suffering of the war. And he, of all people, is not the warmonger, okay? Now, so my position is that that we don't dishonor the warrior. What we do is we, we want to correct the false philosophies of those that have have somehow, I I was going to say, seized the reins of power, but we grant them the reins of power oftentimes, but that have become our leaders. And and the leadership is responsible for upholding their oath of office. The warrior is carrying out the duty. And if you look at uh, Douglas MacArthur's farewell address, read it over. It's a monumental uh, review of this thing and, and the price that's paid by those that march off to war. This is something that the nation—I mean, think of the mothers and fathers, the husbands and well, the wives, mostly, the brothers and sisters, whatever, that were left home, that were bereft of loved ones. And and this is not in any way dishonoring those that have served or that are willing to serve or that are willing to give all. And there are many that have and will yet, I'm confident. But the leadership of the nation needs to be brought back in to abiding by the the— very clear constraints that the United States Constitution puts on them. There is no justification for virtually anything we're doing around the world right now, and and we are shedding lives, fortune, and blood of Americans that should not be. The warriors are not the ones at fault. The warriors are the pawns. The warriors are the ones that are abused. The warriors are the ones that bear the suffering and the pain and the death, and so do their loved ones back home. This is, you know... We need to recognize, let's stop this ungodly approach to the things in the world that we've been doing for decades. And like I say, in my, my brief lifetime, and in my consciousness of what's going on around this world, in that brief period, we have totally abandoned these principles that the founders gave us with, I mean, at such great cost they gave them to us. So we need to go back to the foundation. We, the people, need to understand clearly what the limits and bounds are. We, the people, need to bring people into office that will uphold their oath of office. It's An oath is something that imprecates the vengeance of God. That's how Noah Webster uh, defined it. So they're asking for the vengeance of God if they don't uphold it. And we, the people, need to remove from office those people that violate that oath of office. We need to ha- raise up a generation of people that understand the foundation, rather than the, the foolish perversions that have become so commonplace in America today. And I and I think, and I know, in fact, when we do that, we will be restored to a firm foundation. We'll become, again, a nation that's respected throughout the nations of the world. I gave a talk here a while ago with some very old people that were there, and I, I said to them, you know, I, I'll bet you can remember, you know, this was back in the 30s. Well, I mean, I wasn't given the talk in the 30s, but they were traveling in the 30s. I'll bet you can remember... When Americans were welcomed anywhere in the world, they rolled out the red carpet. People wanted to meet you. They were gracious and helpful, and and now it's become the ugly American. We've got so much blowback, people want to kill us everywhere we go. And and it is happening around the world, you know? Uh,
1: Well, and if we we use this Mexico example where these people living in Mexico were literally murdered because they were, you know— I think they were drawn into a trap by the two drug cartels who wanted to use them as bait, and they didn't mind getting rid of the families that were opposing the drug cartels anyway. But now the whole group, the whole community, if you will, is literally fleeing Mexico for Arizona, and they're saying we're never going back. Sadly, though, as the border leaks like a sieve, and sadly, as we continue in this war mentality, this is going to spill into the southern United States and eventually become the way it is for all of us if we don't turn to God.
12: That, That issue, I mean, right there close and secure the borders, the issue of the USMCA, the United States-Canada-Mexico agreement, it, it, that will open the borders more. That will put a, a greater influx. That will, well, they do a lot of things in there. They violate the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8. They, they violate issues of, of the, putting international organizations over unions uh, to, that are going to impose that on us. The gender things will be more strongly. But this thing of the violence, that thing is migrating north this event in mexico happened 70 80 miles from the united states border it's an ungovernable and ungoverned territory in mexico and and that stuff is becoming it's balkanizing the united states whether it's people that are being brought in from the middle east or people from latin america or wherever we're being balkanized with infiltration groups that, uh, that we're going to we're going to pay the price someday i'm i'm sad to say But you're right. This thing in Mexico is just a precursor to what's coming to the United States.
1: And we need to turn to God is probably the biggest thing we can do to prevent it. I mean, even biblically speaking, if, you know, we should all if anybody is a Christian, you should be on this idea. The Bible basically says, hey, if we repent and turn to God and keep his commandments, he will protect us and heal our land. Isn't that the literal promise?
12: It is indeed, and uh, I am confident that that can be restored.
1: And, you know, that you
12: probably remember, or maybe you don't, I don't know, as, uh, The in the Lord of the Rings trilogy when Gandalf and uh, Frodo were talking, and Frodo says, you know, man, I wish it hadn't happened in my day, you know? And, uh, and Gandalf says, yeah, well, that's true. But what we do with our day is what's important, and what we do with what we've got. You know, we live in a very tumultuous time. I don't know if it's an Irish curse or an Irish blessing where it says, may you live in interesting times. We indeed do. But it really is what we will do with our day. and, uh,
1: and well, I submit if we do are. what's right with our day, if we are peaceful and we follow the Prince of Peace and we keep the commandments and we set an example and we live uh, public and personal lives according to God's laws and we are moral people and we are humble, peace-loving people, I believe uh, it won't be a curse, it'll be a blessing. On the other hand, if we don't, it absolutely will be a curse.
12: And and that's the thing. It is our day. I I just found this statement by Frodo. I wish it need not have happened in my time, this problem with the ring and the uh, evil and everything. And Gandalf says, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And and we need to decide what this time that's been given to us. Is precious, and and our freedom's precious, and our lives are precious, and our families are precious, and the gifts that we've been given by God in this land are precious, and we're squandering them throughout the world unconstitutionally, and it is tragic.
1: And I think we need to remember this day that Lowell Nelson talked about. He likes to call it Armistice Day. What that means is truce, or an agreement to end the fighting. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, ending the fighting would truly be a reason to celebrate in the greatest country on the face of the earth. We could come back, end the fighting, uh, avoid foreign entanglements, as the founding fathers warned, turn to God, receive his blessings, and become a light on a hill, as was intended by our founding fathers and directed by God Almighty, Scott.
12: Indeed, uh, and in fact, you know, if you think about the the 11th day, I mean, the 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hour in in 1918 is when this armistice was to go in. It was kind of that watershed time, the war to end all wars. And literally, if we knew the history, if we knew what had happened, that war was an effort to bring about a global government. The Council on Foreign Relations and the, the League of Nations and everything that followed on. World War II was simply another run at trying to do global government. These things were not really war to end all wars, as all people uh, that the
1: and by the, the way to make your point night. it's eleven eleven right now, sir. What's that? To make your point, it's eleven eleven right now. What is this? November the eleventh, sir.
12: Yeah, well, that's that's the the eleventh day of the eleventh month at the eleventh hour is when they were going to stop the shooting, and and that was to end all wars. But but really, the people that are trying to bring about global tyranny. We're using that as an instrument they failed because the united states didn't ratify the league of nations and so they made another run at it in world war ii we got the united nations we got the council on foreign relations that have that have been pressing this the, the administrations of all are filled with globalists they're the ones that are taking this to war all over the nation it really is a continuation of the hatred and purposes of those that seek to bring about global tyranny, in spite of the fact it was supposed to be the war that ended all war. It certainly did not. All it was was a precursor to what was coming because of the evil of men that seek power, and that's what we're still fighting against. It's a, it's a universal and it's a, an eternal battle, and, and we're in the middle of it, and we've got to see what we are going to do with the time that's given to us.
1: Let's highlight one other reality before we end, ladies and gentlemen. There was a war in heaven before this world was. And the sun of the morning fell and was kicked out. And the war between good and evil uh, commenced. And that war is continuing on the earth today. Nations are caught in the middle of it. Individuals are caught in the middle of it. Families are caught in the middle of it. You must declare whose side you're on. I hope to be on the Lord's side who. I pray that I can do my very best to reject war and stand for peace. At the same time, we will defend... The God-given right of agency. Without it, we're doomed. With it, we can live with our father in heaven someday. Ladies and gentlemen, this is serious and we follow the Prince of Peace, even Jesus Christ. We testify he was resurrected and he lives. We testify he is the answer. Any final words, Scott? Ten seconds.
12: I think that you're absolutely right on and all I can say is amen, brother. This is, uh, this is something we've got to take seriously. And let's make a difference for the good.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, get on your knees and pray hard and then stand up and do all you can. And if we do our best, we can indeed trust in God for the rest. But it starts with morality in the people. There is no other way. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being alongside for the right archives at LibertyRoundTable.com. So is the donation link. Help us if you can. LibertyRoundTable.com. For Sam Curtin, Dr. Scott Bradley, we declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America.